When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 190. Today's episode is all about how to help heal people through caring conversations. Therapy is a lot about eliciting narrative. Uh, Emotion by itself and life circumstances themselves can be disturbing and the person doesn't know what to do. But it's helpful to get that into a narrative, into a story form. Not maybe it can't happen right away, but that could be your your aim to see if you you use your skills to elicit stories, not to interpret them and not to get information really, but to let the person tell the story. And there might be, and I think there is usually some self revelation and self discovery in the telling of the story. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hello, my love. If you have not yet subscribed, please hit that cute little button. Subscribing, sharing, and five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts are a really great way to give back if you find this show helpful. They help the show climb the charts, which helps more people find it and helps me get even better guests for you. Today, I would love to share a review from KM Pool in Canada. She says, thank you for sharing such raw, real, and actionable information and stories. Each week seems to be exactly what I need to hear from your incredible guests. You have a wonderful way of relating the topics to your personal experience and wisdom, and it makes the episodes engaging and encouraging. Thank you, Melissa. Well, thank you so much for leaving this review. It totally made my day. And now on to the show. One of the hardest parts of just being a human for me is watching other people struggle and feeling helpless, like there's nothing I can do to help. I am an empath, so when people are feeling big feelings, I feel them too. Hell, I can even feel their little tiny feelings. My first instinct is to fix their shit for them. It always feels easier to see the problem or the patterns in it from an outside perspective. So I'd just be like, well, the answer is simple. Just break up with the dude. Or obviously you just need to quit your job. Or if you'd stop being a hermit and drinking a bottle of wine every night, your life would get better or whatever. But what I've learned along the way is that when you solve someone's problem for them, you steal their lesson and the universe will find a way to deliver that lesson to the person it was meant for. This has happened in my life over and over again where I've been on the receiving end of this. Whether someone helped me out of my mess or I just didn't take the time to process my own lesson, it would come back until I got it. I'm just the type of person who needed to get punched in the face by the universe until I actually understood what it was trying to teach me. I also found that sometimes talking with people about their issues helped me see my own from a new perspective. It's why I volunteered at the Suicide and Crisis Counseling Center and the Rape Crisis Counseling Center. Even just conversations in general are so healing. It's why therapy works well for some people. It causes them to reflect on the things that they would otherwise hold inside or allow to just spiral in their minds. 
But even if you don't like therapy or you can't afford to pay hundreds of dollars a month to talk to a professional, just conversation with someone who makes you feel safe can help just as much. Your brain and your body get a lot out of talking. When you're feeling really intense feelings like fear, anger, or anxiety, your amygdala is in the driver's seat. And this is the part of the brain that handles your fight or flight response. Talking through your feelings activates a different part of your brain. So over time, you can actually decrease your emotional response to those things. Like I said, I used to be a crisis counselor for the suicide hotline. And the number one thing we learned in training is that you don't solve people's problems for them. You just get them to talk. You ask them questions that allow them to come to their own conclusions and possibly open themselves up to a new perspective. This is also what coaches do. They ask you the right questions that get you to challenge your own limiting beliefs so that you break through them. I've found some of my own biggest healing lessons and I've helped other people heal the most just through conversations. Not conversations where I push my agenda or they push theirs, but just conversations in situations where we both feel safe enough to speak freely. But the question is, how do we create conversations like this? Especially after a year of being socially isolated. I don't know about you, but I've noticed a lot of people are pretty awkward these days. (laughs) And right now, mental health issues are more prevalent than ever. We've been behind screens, blasting our opinions without feeling the energy of the person on the other end. And I think we need more help connecting in this way than ever. And many of us are either struggling or seeing people that we love struggling. And we just long for that type of connection. Or we just want to help each other and we don't know how. So today we're going to learn how to have therapeutic conversations that facilitate each other's healings. And our guest is Thomas Moore, a psychotherapist and author of 24 bestsellers, including Care of the Soul, and his newest book, Soul Therapy, The Art and Craft of Caring Conversation. And three key things we will learn are how an average person can become more skillful in talking to friends and relatives about emotional issues, the biggest mistakes people make when getting other people to open up, and how to create a vessel for deep and caring conversations. And now let's welcome Thomas Moore to the show. Thank you, Melissa, for having me. So what's your story? How did you become interested in this idea of soul conversations or really helping each other through conversation? I think I got it mainly from uh, being a therapist, psychotherapist for about 35 years. And uh, I've thought a lot about it. I've studied this word therapy a lot. And I thought that there's no reason why ordinary people can't uh, learn uh, from therapists how they might be able to talk to each other in important conversations. Like when someone calls you and says, I'm going into surgery, will you talk to me? Or who knows what, you know, I lost my job. So I think that we all could do a good job. We could do a little bit better if we knew some of the basics of how to listen and how to talk well. I think most of us do not know the basics very well. (laughs) I feel like we live in a world of small talk and it's I love deep conversations and that's the feedback I usually get when I meet new people. It's like, oh my gosh, you're just so willing to go to these places in conversation that people aren't willing to. What do you think happened or why do you think that so many of us stay on the surface level of conversations? Well, it's easier. It's not, there's nothing threatening about that. 
And I think that um, it takes a whole lifestyle, a thought of that you want your life to amount to something, that you really want to have your time spent well, that kind of thing. So that when you talk to people, you want it to be have a little bit of substance. I mean, you can certainly have fun just, you know, any any time. But there are moments when it seems appropriate to really have a serious conversation with someone. One of the things I do in, in uh, writing about this is that I, I talk about the Irish idea of anamkara, which is a kind of friendship, but it's a friendship, a particular kind of being a friend, where you not only offer your companionship and do things together, but you actually help guide the other person when they need it. And uh, I think that's the difference. So I think people could, even today, most people could understand that and they could see the importance of it, but it's not something we do in daily life. I could imagine somebody hearing that and thinking, I can barely guide myself. (laughs) How am I supposed to guide a friend? (laughs) Do you think that sometimes it's easier? For me, sometimes it is easier to guide a friend because I am not emotionally wrapped up. I, I don't feel the baggage. I don't I don't have the same things keeping me in that spot. I can just sort of see their issues clearly. But I think that for me, I've been doing this a while. I, I tend to have those conversations and it takes a bit to get over that hump of feeling unqualified or feeling like it's not my place to do that. But how do we start to switch that mindset so that we're not shying away from something that could be so much more purposeful? Well, that's the situation, the cultural situation, where we, as a society, we have so um, professionalized therapy. I mean, if you want to become a therapist, you have to study for quite a while. You have to, uh, many places, you have to go into therapy yourself as part of the training, and that costs a lot of money. And then you get a license. And there's a lot of talk about how you're really in trouble if you don't have a license and you try to present yourself as a therapist. So that creates, I think, an environment of fear, really. And 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 if people don't want to get close to it. I hear that all the time. People say, are you qualified? Do you have a license? Um, do you know what you're doing? And then when people do want to talk to a friend, they say, well, I don't feel qualified. I tell a story that uh, illustrates this point. I was touring hospitals, and I was writing a book on hospitals and, and medicine at one point. And I was in a nursing at a nursing station in a hospital, and uh, a nurse came in and came to the group and said, "There's a patient down the hall who wants to talk to someone." And then suddenly there was a big discussion of where they could find a psychologist or a social worker. And I just said, "You know, it sounds like." This person just wants to talk to someone, so I'll go. And I went down and just talked to the person who was there asking for somebody. So I think that was an indication that we tend to professionalize this this uh, deep and important talking. And uh, the rest of us who are not professionals have to just take it to ourselves and say, well, I can do that too, and I can do it in a way that would be effective. I have struggled with those kind of imposter syndrome things too because of what's out there. But I look at my life and there have been times where I've had health problems and I am the one telling the doctor what I learned from my research where they don't know <laughs> what I'm dealing with. And and I think we don't give ourselves the credit where we do have a lot of information online. Yes, that means that it's, we're able to find misinformation, but 
a lot of times it's just this simple search. And even beyond that, a lot of times it's just getting in touch with my intuition instead of bogging myself down with so much information. And when we are connected with somebody and you know, you're not dealing with their problems, you're just seeing them from an outside perspective, it might help you see patterns faster than a therapist could because they're not spending day in and day out with people. It might help you see things from a perspective that the individual's not because you're seeing it from the outside view. And so I try to remind myself of these things when I'm coaching people because I think we don't give as much credit to our inner wisdom as that inner wisdom deserves. And if we're willing to kind of be quiet instead of approaching a conversation like, this is the information I need to put on this person and more like, what information am I receiving from this interaction, from more than the words, from the body language, and you can hear your own inner voice, it might guide you in a direction that can even be more helpful than a professional. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. I would probably not use the word information myself because, you know, to be fussy about it, because that's not really what we do when we're talking this way. I think what we're mainly doing is is letting people know that you're there. First of all, you're present. Presence is a huge thing. Uh, I learned that from Buddhist uh, teachings, that presence. So you, you heal with your presence, they say about the healing Buddha. You heal with your presence. And I think that's really the start of it all, just being there and really being there not without your mind somewhere else or any other intentions, but just being as present as you can to someone. And then when you listen, you're listening with your with, with yourself. You are the instrument, what you're doing there. And the, uh, the uh, advice that a lot of people give, and it's important, is that um, you you don't give advice to people. That's not your job when you're listening and you're being uh, present to someone. You don't have to give them advice because advice is just as good as your own experience and your own interpretation of your experience. It's much better to listen and to uh, let people know that you've heard them. And if you hear something that, that strikes you, you can let them know what you've heard and put it that way. You know, this is this is what I just heard you saying. Instead of uh, interpreting, trying to figure somebody out, that's not what this is about. It's not trying to figure someone out and then solve the problem. You don't even treat the person as a problem. That's a mistake we make today, I think, a lot. We are not really problems. We are human beings having some really good experiences in life, and, and we, have, we run into problems. Uh, but uh, we are not a problem ourselves. We are, we are just a person. And I think that that's what somebody else needs. They need us to. They need us to be with them. I made that mistake for most of my life, and I think it, part of it is I'm very empathic. And so when I would feel someone's discomfort, I had to realize that you know I thought I was helping. Where I'm like, you know, I'm going to fix this. I need to fix this for this person. Rarely did that work at all. <laughs> but also, I started to realize that part of that drive for me to fix it was selfish because I was feeling the discomfort that I didn't want to feel instead of being willing to just sit there and kind of hold space for that person and realize that they might be sad, they might be angry, they might be dealing with some emotion that I feel is dis- is uncomfortable. But that is where their lesson is. And that sadness might not be a problem. It might just be the process. And so to try to take that away from somebody before they have gone through it is actually doing them a disservice because you're stealing their lesson in a way. 
And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. That's right. Absolutely. Um, a person is having their own experience and it's not your job to take it away from them or to to understand it. Human beings are too complicated. It's very hard to understand what's going on most of the time. And I think that the professional does have a place. Uh, people's lives can get to a point where you really need somebody who understands how far we can sort of get away from having a kind of an ordinary experience and we get a little strange, you know. We really do have some suffering. We might be depressed or we might have some delusions about what's happening around us, or we may be in conflicts with someone close to us. And those things are very hard to deal with. And I think a professional can help a lot. So what I'm trying to do in my work is speak both to the professional and the ordinary person and just show that there's some commonality there without taking away anything from the value of a professional. You say that when someone walks into your office, you're on alert for the soul's condition. What do you look for? When someone comes to me, they know my work usually, and they know that I'm not a life manager. You know, I don't try to help them design their life or work things out in their life so much. I want to know who they are in a very deep way. That's what I use. That's why I use this old word soul for it. So when someone comes to me, what I look for, it's hard to say exactly, you know, it's quite mysterious, but I would say I look for who they are as an individual, and uh, uh, how they are responding right now to me and to uh, how they present themselves, the language they use, what they decide to start talking about. Um, I'd register all that, and I try to treat them in as an individual and not somebody to put a label on like this, you know, they're depressive or bipolar or anything like that, but to see them as an individual and realize that like like all of us, they have to, they're trying to relate, they have good relationships, they come from families, and no family is ever perfect. 
So that's something that is interesting to talk about, what their family was like, what their childhood was like, what their experiences have been. One of the big questions that uh, I think about it is, uh, what does their soul want? What, in other words, very deep down, very, that's how I use the word soul, very as deep as you can get. What does your soul want? Not what do you want in a surface way, but deep down, what does your soul want out of life? I find that kind of question can lead us into matters that uh, eventually will maybe ease up some of the uh, problems that they're experiencing, but also go further. And I think that's why people want to come to to people like me. They want to be able to look for purpose and meaning in life. Yeah. And when we are not a licensed therapist and we're trying to see those same things, is that possible or is that one something left to the professional? Because I can see a situation where maybe somebody is asking those questions and, and you know, they're not trained to not put the person into a box, but maybe that's counteracted by the fact that they know them on a deeper level. So how yes. do you take the things that a therapist does and, and how can a regular person that's not a licensed therapist kind of use those same techniques to maybe get to a deeper level? Well, you do it in your own way. You, you know, you, you understand your limitations. That's not so hard. You know what your limitations are. And who, what the situation is, you're an ordinary person talking to a friend or maybe someone at work or something like that, a relationship of some kind. And you know your limitations. Your task isn't to be their, their professional therapist or their psychiatrist or anything like that. Your job is to, uh, if it's a job, it's just the job of a friend, to be present to listen and to give a little feedback without interpreting, without trying to figure that person out. Just give them what you hear. I think you can learn from uh, various sources uh, how to do it better, how to how to do it more more effectively. That's why I decided to write about it. I, I thought I'd write some of my own suggestions of how you can do this as an ordinary person, uh, talking to someone in a deep and meaningful way. I know for some people, they're not used to having these conversations in general. And so just breaking that seal of like that first, maybe it's with your parents. Maybe you've always kept that service level mm -hmm. with your parents. And so all of a sudden going in deep feels very uncomfortable to both of you. Is there any way that is an easier transition, like to, to maybe start out, to start to get a little bit deeper in those relationships that aren't used to it? Yes, there are a number of things you can do. One is, uh, it's very simple. These are all very simple. One way is to um, let the person know, make it clear that and explicit that you would like to have a, a, a real conversation. I'd like to really talk to you about something that matters to me. It's a very simple thing to do, but it sets the stage, you know, it, it prepares the, for the conversation. So you're not going to have just an ordinary talk about sports and the weather. You're going to talk about something that's important to you. And you can say that in a way, maybe has a little drama to it so that you make it clear that they know, look, I've, this is not, I'm here to talk to you today for a little while at least about something that's important to me. And I'd like to have a really good, uh, serious conversation. Is that all right for you? You could say, is that okay? Would you be willing to do that? That sets up a little contract and 
uh, limitations and focus right away. So you, if generally, if you could be more explicit, instead of a lot of times what we do is we have these thoughts in our mind, but we don't say them. And the other person is supposed to read your mind somehow and do what you want. And it can't work out that way. You have to be, I think it's magical. One of the magical things about a very uh, thoughtful conversation is to make things explicit that normally are not. And as I say, in such a simple way, and you invite the other person to be part of it, part of your conversation. So you say, as I said, are you willing to do this? Do you feel like doing this? Do you think this would be useful? Uh, do you think you'd enjoy that? Whatever words you want to use for that. It invites the other person to enter that kind of conversation. Uh, one more thing is that you might also, if you're just having a conversation with someone, you can take it a step deeper. You can drop it down a, a foot, you know, an inch. Drop it down a, a little ways, a step deeper. Not a long way, but just a little step. And then in very, in maybe several steps, eventually you get down. You can take the initiative and in bring in the conversation down a bit. I know for me, I've gotten better at voicing things when, when they're on my heart and they feel like something deep. It was really hard for me for a long time. I was so much better at going to talk to people about their issues than mine because a lot of times it was easier for me to focus on other people than it was for me to focus on myself. I'm like, well, if I'm fixing their issues, then I don't have to focus on my own. And often through that, I would learn about my own issues and it would provide me tools to help myself. But it's like if I was thinking about my own issues directly, I usually thought they were about something else than they actually were. So I had to sit with mm -hmm. in the stillness and be like, no, what is this? It's not about my husband putting the cups in the wrong spot in the cupboard. Obviously it's deeper. What is this? You know, like sit yeah. with that and, and find that deeper layer. But when we're talking to other people about their issues, I think we can often sort of jump to conclusions also by the patterns that we see mixed with our own internal issues. How do we approach something if we see signs that maybe somebody does need to talk or they are going through something? How can we approach that and open up the conversation without bringing our assumptions or in a way that feels safe for them to also let that out? You know, this is really a, a, the art. This is you know, my book has a subtitle, The Art and Craft of, of uh, Conversation. And I think that art is important. So that means that when you talk to somebody, you don't just talk unconsciously, naturally, just like you're in an ordinary conversation, if this is about something significant and important. So it's an art. I use the example of uh, playing tennis. In tennis, you don't just whack at the ball. You have a form. You use you turn your body and you use your body weight to to hit the ball. It's a similar in this. It's there's an art to conversation. So it's not just unconscious. You don't just do it naturally. Naturally means unconscious, and that's not too good in this kind of thing. So you think about doing this. There's a certain art you're going to bring to it. So the one of the issues that you have to be artful about is. How do I include myself? Do I just listen to the person and should I keep myself out of it and just hold back? Or can I talk about myself some? How can I do that in a way that doesn't put my experience onto them, where I, I'm telling them from my experience what they should do? That's not very useful. You know, that's so eye-centered that it doesn't really help. On the other hand, I find personally, and I'm not sure that uh, I'm sure that not all therapists would agree with me. What I do is I talk about myself a little bit. I usually think of it in terms of percentage. So I may talk, period, talk, 
in an hour session with someone, I may talk 10% of the time. I, I do. And I will say something about myself, but it's a tiny, tiny percentage of what's going on. And I'm very careful not to say anything about myself that gives the impression that what I do and what I think is what I think that this person should be and do, that that's their solution. That's not, that's not useful, not this, kind of, uh, not this kind of conversation. So I might say, well, I might tell a story about something that I experienced, and there might be a little lesson or a thought in it for us to discuss, but I'm very careful not to give the impression that I'm telling people what they should do. That, that, is, that doesn't work. I volunteered at the Suicide and Crisis Counseling Center when I was in my early 20s. And part of it was because I lost a friend to suicide. And I found that helping people through something usually ends up giving me an understanding that I need for my own healing. And I remember one of the things that we learned was that we often want to sit there and say, like, no, I've dealt with that. Let me let me help you through this or let me tell you right. what worked for me, you know, and that actually disempowered the person on the other line because first of all you when you're in crisis mode you can't really come to conclusions as easily <laughs> as when you're not in fight or flight and so these things feel like problems that have no answer to them and that and the easiest thing to do would just be to end it you know and so when we'd have to be very careful about not saying that because they in their minds they would think well, wait, so we've been through the same thing and you just could easily solve it and I can't, I am a loser, I am incapable. And so you had to ask them the right questions to help them come to their own conclusion. Is that sort of a similar art form as you're talking about? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You had to ask them the right questions to help them come to their own conclusion. Is that sort of a similar art form as you're talking about? Yes, I think so. It's, uh, 
I think in these those kind of programs, you're taught uh, not to say a lot. You're, you're because people, especially in doing that kind of thing on these telephone uh, aid uh, programs, things like that, um, you you might just go in and give advice and talk about yourself and and whatever someone says, you think, well, what, what have I experienced that and what would I do? That's just untrained. It's too natural. That's why I say it's more of an art. And so the art would be to be able to guide a person toward being able to discover things for themselves as they talk. So your job is more to encourage the telling of stories. What what I sometimes, the way I sometimes put it is that uh, therapy is a lot about eliciting narrative. Uh, Emotion by itself and life circumstances themselves can be disturbing and the person doesn't know what to do. But it's helpful to get that into a narrative, into a story form. Not, maybe it can't happen right away, but that could be your, your aim, to see if you, you use your skills to elicit stories, not to interpret them and not to get information, really, but to let the person tell the story. And there might be, and I think there is usually, some self-revelation and self-discovery in the telling of the story. And it's, it's quite important in itself. I think we have to be we have to become more poets rather than what we do, rather than doctors. You know, that's the doctor fantasy is not such a good one for the person just talking to a friend. It's much better to have more of a an artist or a poet uh, fantasy of yourself saying, I, I like stories and I'm very interested in stories. And I think I could help somebody make a story out of what they're experiencing. Or I could be the kind of listener who can draw out stories and keep them coming. And even repeating, because repeating stories are often helpful and being able to notice what's really important and notice the themes that are probably the basic themes of this person's life experience. So what's an example of that? When do you know when to elicit the stories and and how do you bring that up to bring it out? Well, questions. You know, you can ask questions about it. Someone says, uh, I've, uh, I'm having... Uh, trouble with my talking to my mother these days and I've always had some trouble and you say oh always well when did it start from you know and they say well it started from the beginning well what's the beginning like you know where did it start before you were born or after and what happened I for example I'm thinking right now when I said that I was thinking of a client of mine who whose story about their parent about his it was about his parents began before he was born Things that happened that he heard about just before he was born. And he was greatly troubled throughout his life by what he heard happen in the days and the hours before he was born. So it's funny, you know, it's not always about the experience of your, your life. It's stories that you even heard from other people that can get inside you and become the pattern. They form a pattern that you relate with all your life and it can be very problematic. I remember there was a time that I was just feeling disempowered. I I was feeling like I couldn't create success. Like maybe I didn't have it in me to have stamina or to finish something. And I remember somebody asked me, well, when was the last time you did finish something? And I started to think back and not only did it bring in it opened my eyes to what had happened in between that that may have changed the stories that I was telling myself. It, it all 
that part in general. It, it highlighted the stories I was telling myself in my mind versus the stories that were real. And so even just that opened up something and, and it shifted. It's actually changed the way that I speak to people because when I can see them feeling stuck, instead of being like, well, this is the way out that I found. It's like, well, yeah. well, when was the last time you felt empowered? Or when was the last time that you did feel like you could finish something or whatever it is that, that we're focusing on that because then it shifts them or me, whoever is the subject of this art of conversation, mm-hmm. it, it shifts out of I'm stuck to I have been empowered. I could be empowered, you know, or whatever, whatever that is. And so that alone has been a really powerful segue for me in my own conversations with people. That's the whole point. You know, if you, I think you can understand that certain questions you would ask will will bring out stories and rather than answers rather than asking a person to figure themselves out and what do you think what do you, why do you think you're feeling this that doesn't really elicit a story that's that's eliciting an answer of some kind but rather you could say when like you said when was the last time you experienced this that brings out a story and then when they tell the story there's so much there that you can pursue little branches, little words that come through you here, and they seem significant. And so you ask about that. And so the story keeps going and branching out, becoming a a very rich story. And right away, you've got an awful lot of material there to have conversation about. I remember when my dad died, I was in college. I was 19. And so I'm Keep in mind that this story involves a bunch of other 19-year-olds in college. (laughs) So it's like Mm. every time I would go to talk about my dad, people would be like, well, let's get your mind off of it. Let's go drinking, whatever. And I remember getting to a point where I was just like, I want somebody to just sit here and let me talk about my dad. I don't know why I feel like I'm going to cry. And so I just wanted to be able to relive, you know, And, and of course I was going to get emotional in those situations. And then if I wasn't used to being emotional around that person, I might feel uncomfortable. That person might feel uncomfortable. Like all of a sudden they're absorbing my emotions. So what do you say for people that do feel that discomfort when emotions come up? And what is the best way to handle that to where you'd still make that person feel like it's a safe space to give what they need instead of all of a sudden both people retreating from the scary emotions? Well, if you're going to have a serious conversation with somebody, it wouldn't hurt to just think about it before you start it, before you go to this meeting where you're going to talk to them, to think about it. And there's some good questions you could ask. Like, can you handle emotion? Probably there'll be some emotion coming out here when this thing, can you handle it? And if not, maybe you should work on that a little bit before you go around listening to people. It's uh, issues and and if they ask you, you say, "Well, I don't think I'm really able to do that yet. I'd like to be able to. Uh, give me a little time because you do have to think about yourself and you have to prepare yourself." So I keep saying, "You are the instrument here in this caring, uh, helpful conversation." So you have to be able to have some range. You have like I often think of it as being a container. Like, I don't know, I, don't, I never, I don't know what that would be, but like a big basket or a, a big couch or something. You say, that's who you are. You're, you can you can go and be with someone and they can feel that you are someone they can talk to because you can hold their emotion. You're not going to be scared by it and run away from it or uh, try to deal with it too quickly, but let's let it be. So that's really important if you're really going to 
be somebody who who wants to be sort of a an ordinary therapist, you know, like an ordinary someone who's a caring uh, friend. This in this deeper sense of the word. If you're not able to do it, that's a first step. If you're not able yet to do it, then maybe work on that a bit. Maybe be in try experiment with being with emotion more to express your own emotion, to know what your emotions are, and that will help you then to be someone other people can be with and can trust. It is important to have a some range there, some capacity to to uh, be in the presence of someone who is feeling something without having to do things to turn it off, like touching them, holding their hand. That Sometimes that shuts down the whole thing. Shuts down. Sometimes I guess it works, but a lot of times it shuts it all down. Or you might uh, find some way to say something, oh, it's going to be all right, don't worry about it. Uh, that shuts down the emotion. And that's prote- really protecting yourself, saying, it's all right, I can't handle this. That's what you're saying. So um, you do have to be able to handle things somewhat. And that's part of the work. That's that's what a lot of my other books are about, you know, like care of the soul, care for your soul. Uh, make sure that you are somebody who lives a life that has some meaning and uh, you do things that are significant. You have fun, absolutely, lots of fun. But, but at the same time, you have a range so that you can deal with sorrow or sadness or tragedy in life. You're somebody who can stand in the presence of that. That That is really, that's really uh, doing something for yourself. I've definitely experienced that where I've shared. I'm an oversharer. So <laughs> a lot in my history, I'm like, let me tell you this deep story that you may not have asked for, <laughs> but I need to get it out. And they're like, everything's going to be okay. And to me, that feels like it minimizes that problem. And I'm like, Okay, that was such a surface level response to something that I obviously need to get off my chest. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, I have learned even in that situation that, you know, just because I need to get it off my chest doesn't mean that that person is ready to receive it as well. And so kind of how you say, let's preface this with an ask, like, can we have a deep conversation right now? I will say to somebody like, I would love to talk about something deep. Like, do you have space for this right now? Is the, is this yeah. a good time or when can we? And so that's been really helpful as well. And then if I'm on the other end, instead of saying like, is this okay? What I've learned over the years, because now I'm in a position where people do talk to me about a lot of deep stuff. I'm the one they come to. And I notice when there's emotion in most people, there's almost this look like, I'm sorry that this is happening. And I do practice with being able to receive emotions, especially as someone who I relate to being an empath. I used to accidentally take all that on and then I would leave feeling drained. But so instead, you know, I prepare myself mentally too, where I'm like, no, this is a moment where I'm going to be a container for this person or I'm going to allow this person, this needs to come out. And I might voice that where it's like, they start to cry and it's like, I'm sorry, whatever, you know, trying to wipe it away. Like it never happened. It's like, it seems like this needs to come out. Like this is a great Mm -hmm. place for it to come out. Like let it out. It's fine. I'm fine with this. And just like saying like, let it out. I think every single time it's allowed that person that catharsis, it's made them feel safe to unleash it. And then I just kind of sit there and I'm like, I will sometimes have to do mantras in my head where I'm like, this isn't my problem to fix, but I can be here and hold this person's hand or whatever this person needs. And that's been really helpful for me, even just on the receiving end. Yeah, so I think that when someone is expressing a lot of emotion, 
uh, you can let them know that uh, you can handle it. Or a lot of times, I just keep quiet. I just don't say anything. I just let it, okay, let it go. You know, they, uh, they see that I'm not running away and I'm not saying anything. The trouble is there's a, there might be a temptation. If you're going to talk and say something, you could easily come out defensively. You know, that I kind of protect yourself from this emotion that's there. And it's okay. You know, emotion is uh, something that is not easy to deal with for most people, probably. So it's okay to be uh, thrown by it somewhat. But uh, at the same time, if that registers in you, you can just be quiet and let the person go on and keep talking. Silence actually has a big uh, impact sometimes in these conversations to know when not to say something. You don't need to talk all the time. You can just wait. I I, I have a whole section in my book on this thing on on the waiting, how you you can wait and have the strength of being able to wait. That's a skill. To be able to wait quietly while things happen. And you don't have to be talking all the time. You don't have to be the one, the manager controlling the whole thing. You can just be quiet and let the stillness happen. And then people can reset, kind of. They reset themselves and move ahead. I have been watching a lot of videos on child development because I have a three-month-old right now. And now all of a sudden I'm super interested in this, obviously. and, And I follow some kind of like mom influencers online where they're, they're showing little tricks on how they deal with their children. And one of the things that I've noticed that seems to be helpful for people is, you know, when a child's having a big emotion, a lot of times parents want to sort of shut it down and be like, you don't need to cry right now or whatever, like you're overreacting. And one of the more mindful ways of doing this is, is actually saying to your child, like, it's okay to have big emotions. It's okay to feel angry, but this is a better way to funnel it? Or what are your tips for having the same types of caring conversations with children? It's a really good issue. I think parents are therapists quite often, you know, probably several times a day. You have to, you have to respond to your child therapeutically, not professionally, but therapeutically, meaning in a helpful way and not just reacting. This is the first step, I think, is to realize that you are the parent and remember you're a parent all the time. And what you say is not uh, an ordinary person talking to another ordinary person. You are a parent talking to your child. That is, that's like big stuff. That's, uh, that's why in my writing, in my books, I often talk about the archetypal parents, meaning like it's not just you that they encounter, but it is mother in capital M. You know, it's like a big, a big sense of mother, the mythic mother you embody, and they have to deal with. This is mother. It's not just you as a person. So you have to be careful and know that your words are very, very powerful for good and for bad. That means as a parent, if you keep that in mind, that's who you are, you might be less inclined to just react and have an emotional reaction to the kids. That is really more about yourself reacting to a situation than it is being being the parent. I think that's a start if you can keep that in mind. I'm not an ordinary person here. Unfortunately, I'm never an ordinary person when I talk to my children. I mean, I'm always also kind of a representative of the great mother somehow, or whatever that means, this much bigger sense of the maternal and the mother. And if you do that, then you'll be cautious. You won't just respond. And you might discover that when you are just reacting and full of your own emotion and frustration, that that is more about your situation right now. It's not really the kids. They don't understand that because they're relating to big mama, big mother. 
<laughs> and that's a whole different situation altogether. So that, that would be my first suggestion. And when you do that, then it's, it's you know, the therapist has, the professional therapist has the same issue. The professional therapist has to know that they have a pretty high standing in this person's life. This person has, has asked them, has asked the, the therapist to really help them. And they are willing to say, to tell a lot of their secrets from their life and all of that. So the therapist, most of the time, is on a pedestal of some kind, just as mother is on a pedestal. It's a big figure. So the therapist has to watch out because any, even the slightest thing you say might have an impact that you don't intend with the person you're talking to. That's something, I would say that's a starting point. Be the parent and know that you're the parent. And uh, yeah, at the same time, you are a person. You're, you're your parent in your own way. But the child is going to see something much bigger than your own small reactions. I have realized that the better I get at relationships with other people, and whatever that relationship dynamic is, it could be husband and wife, mother-daughter, friendships, employee, whatever, something about that or, or realizing how to be better at that or, or connect better actually also helps me connect with myself a little bit better. And, and to ha- it changes the way my inner dialogue is. And so that's one of the things I'm excited about becoming a parent. I'm like, how am I going to grow? What's my relationship with myself going to be like? And that's so right. mu- much of our behavior stems from the beliefs that we have about ourselves and how our inner dialogue sounds. And so I'm wondering if there's any tips that you have to apply some of these teachings to even just the way that we speak to ourselves or that inner voice. I think I, I can speak as a father. Uh, my daughter is uh, 29 now. She's taught me a lot. And one of the things that I've I've noticed in my relationship with her, and I still do even at this age now, is how complex I am as a person to her and she is to me. She's my daughter, but she's a person of her own. And the older she gets, the more her own person is revealed and comes out. And I find myself having even, I don't know how to put this without sounding bad, but having even more respect for her now because I see who she is more. I see her really living her own life. And yet I'm her father at the same time. And once in a while I forget that because I might be relating to her as this very interesting woman as she's growing up now and doing her work and, and finding her life and her creativity and all of that. Um, I forget sometimes that I'm her father. And so this interesting relationship between being a parent and being a person, that's myself. I love the idea, and it's enriched my life tremendously to be a father, not just to be myself, not just to be my, my, you know, who I am normally with people. It's such a rich thing, and it, it constantly, even now at this point in my life, it keeps increasing all the time. And I think if I can feel that, then uh, keep that in mind and think of it positively. So many, there's so many negative thoughts about parents around so many problems involved, but I see it as a wonderful thing. So I, uh, and I try to, I try to um, make the best of it, make the most of it as being a parent. And that fusion of myself and being a father is, is a very, very rich thing. So I think that have, to having a deep and positive feeling about being a parent can help you the way you talk to your kids. Well, I can see this episode being so helpful for a number of reasons. I mean, in the last year, people have been connecting in person less and 
virtually more and, and conversation has really been at a highlight. And I think largely a lot of people have become worse at it because <laughs> there's so much division and we're coming in with our preconceived mo- notions. And so I feel like this work is so pivotal and it, it's going to help so many people. So for listeners that are interested in learning more about your work and your book and uh, connecting with you, where's the best place for them to connect online? Online, the best place would be my website, thomasmoresoul.com. Thomas Moore, that's with two O's, more, thomasmoresoul.com. And the, my most recent book just out is called Soul Therapy. Soul Therapy, the Art and Craft of Caring Conversations. So I can, you know, there's a lot of what we're talking about in that book. You can't, you can't squeeze everything into a book, but there's a lot there. I try to put myself in the book, and it's easy enough to read. And I, I'm thinking as, as I wrote it, I thought I've been thinking of parents and teachers and doctors and nurses and lawyers and business managers. Just about everybody is a therapist a couple times a day. Sometimes, you know, it happens when you're in a store. Uh, and I've noticed this, a clerk in a store might, like I, I give this example, I was in a local little store, we have supermarket, little market, and a woman at the counter says, starts telling me about going on vacation and telling me I, maybe I need a vacation. That's a little therapeutic conference, you know, conversation there in the, in the moment. So that's what I wanted to write about is uh, living more therapeutically than we normally do. All of the links mentioned in this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 190. So your challenge for this week is to have some more caring conversations, obviously. But I know that you have one person in your mind. Maybe somebody who you feel like needs some help but isn't asking for it. Or maybe they are asking for it. Maybe they're your child and they're lashing out or your partner that's shut down a little bit or your friend that doesn't seem like herself. Whoever that person is, I want you to practice some of these skills. And this isn't to make this person some sort of experiment to practice your listening skills or anything like that. It's to unlock this other side of you. We all have these caring individuals inside of us. We're all connected in general, which means that if we can heal our own pain, then we can definitely aid in healing each other's. That's what we're here for. It's just like the earth regenerates itself. If you think of each being not as a single organism, but as a part of the collective, then you see how things work together. Our systems in our body are made of individual atoms and cells that create a system that all works together. One organ works with the other organ to help keep our body moving and alive. Nature works in the same way where the rain falls from the sky, which goes into the earth, which is sucked up by the roots of the trees and helps them grow, which creates leaves and foliage that falls and then replenishes the earth even more you get the picture. Now picture that each human isn't just its own human. We're all working together. You can see it even just in what we create here. Whereas the woodsmith creates something that creates your furniture to help build your house and all of the things are working together. Now understand that this is happening just through our interactions. It actually even happens with our own germs where we help build each other's immune system. 
despite what some people would have us believe. But now, bring that same idea to our conversations. And know that when you interact with somebody, whether in a positive or negative way, you can say something that changes that person. And we see it from, I mean, I can remember the very first time anyone called me fat. (laughs) And it affected me for years, maybe even still. I mean, it had to have. Even though I've healed my eating disorder, I am different because of having that eating disorder, because of what stemmed from that, and so on. So what if you just intended, you set the intention to be a vessel for therapy for the people that you know, to have more therapeutic conversations, to be open instead of pushing your agenda, hearing what they're saying and trusting that the universe will deliver the exact questions to help open them up even more to who they truly are. Now, if you're looking at your life and your relationships in that way, how will they change for you? Take note and let me know on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. If this episode was helpful, take a screenshot, share it with somebody. If you want to have more conversations with people and you don't know how to introduce the idea, share this episode with them. And tag mindlovemelissa if you do share it on social media. If you want to become a deeper part of the Mind Love community, we have Mind Love Premium at mindlove.com slash premium where you get extra episodes, bonuses, monthly meditations, and monthly calls with me where we go deeper into different topics or what's on our minds that month. I'd love to have you. And if you've left a five-star review for Mind Love, thank you so, so, so much. You're one of my favorite people. If you haven't, maybe consider doing so. I will love you even more than I already do. And as always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 